All right. I'm Scott. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I've been asked to share my experience, strength, and hope with y'all. I hope everyone had a good week. Um, so my sobriety date is 10-10-2012. Um, I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I've been through the steps. I've been through them more than once. Uh, I reach out to the newcomer. I try to help be an active member in uh, AA. So it was explained to me to kind of, when I share my stories, say how it was, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, so we'll start way back in the day. Uh, I was adopted when I was like two and a half from Russia. Um, grew up in Pennsylvania, had a great family, great parents. Um, I do remember like distinctly growing up we would do things called like play dates for all the kids, all the moms get together and say like, let's go to so-and-so's house and play Marco Polo in the pool. And as like five years old, I remember thinking like, man, what are these people just clicking their heads to just be a part of the group and not feel awkward and left out and just be present? Because I was never present, I don't know why. Um, but that always kind of bugged me. I always felt like a little bit of an outsider and I never felt like I really fit in. And um, but other than that, like great childhood, great everything. No trauma, uh, nothing bad. So let's fast forward to like sixth grade. Let's say I'm 10 years old. I meet the love of my life. And uh, <laughs> at where I went to grade school or sixth grade, whatever you call that, uh, it was right next to my house. So I walked down this big hill and I walked over and I could get to school every day. Um, it just so happened that the love of my life lived in between my house and school, and so I walked past her house every day. So uh, on uh, Valentine's Day, I go to the mall, I get her a little diamond knock or locket uh, necklace, and I write her a poem and I paste it to her locker as like the anonymous Valentine's Day lover. And it didn't work out. The mom was like, "You can't do it. She didn't like me. She uh, she was not interested." And Every day after that Valentine's Day, I would walk past her house and feel like ashamed and like, I bet you they're looking outside, peeking through the blinds, looking at me, laughing. And that's just like a massive ego going on, but like I lived in like constant fear of that. And let's fast forward to the summer of sixth grade. Uh, I'm with my brother and his friend and he has rum and coke. And I remember, this is the moment I arrived. This is the bullseye I always tried to hit afterwards. Um, I took a swig of the rum and coke and I could walk past that house for the first time and not feel like I cared what they thought. And I was like, I felt part of the group, my brother and his friends, and I didn't care what those people thought about me in the house. And that was it, that was, I had arrived, I felt my euphoria, I no longer felt like I was trapped in my head, and I chased that feeling for the next six years. Uh, I started, or I guess eight, 10 to, 10 to 18. Ooh, math's not so good. Uh, so anyways, as a 10 year old, 11 year old, you can't drink all the time and you really can't get in a lot of trouble. You can only water down things so much. But um, probably around like 15 or 16, I started drinking more uh, increasingly, like instead of just weekends during the week, uh, I would save my lunch money that my mom would give me for lunch at school and I'd go buy like cheapest bottle of vodka I could find. And I wouldn't, here's the fucked up part, I wouldn't eat lunch so I could get more drunk off the cheap liquor. And I was like, oh, there we go, like I'll less food in my system. Like, no one thinks like that, that drinks like a normal person. Um, 
So anyways, there started to be signs showing up where uh, it was like, maybe this guy's got a little bit of a problem. And I think I got an underage at like a homecoming dance. And my parents were like, you need to go to rehab and whatever. I went, uh, was, I went to get my parents off my back and like didn't want to be there and whatever. I wasn't ready. I was 16 and junior in high school. Um, but I did go to some meetings. And I'll share this. Uh, I went to this meeting. I got like the old timer playbook. He pulls me aside after the meeting. He says, let's go get some coffee and some cake. I'm like, okay. And he told me a story like years down the road after I got sober. And again, I'm 16. I don't have a girlfriend. I'm still a virgin. Uh, and I'm sitting across the table from this guy like a Perkins. And he's like, what's going on, man? Why are you at a meeting? And I was like, well, I've been having some issues drinking. And I want to be able to figure out how I can have one glass of champagne at my wedding. And I didn't have a girlfriend. I wasn't getting engaged anytime soon. And he was like, he told me this after the fact. He said, you know, when I first saw you, I thought you might have just got in some trouble and you know, bang your head and your parents. You're trying to appease your parents. He's like, the second you said that, I knew you were an alcoholic because you're trying to control something you have no control over. And you're thinking about something way in the future that's not even present. Uh, and so that's how, like, I obviously not going to AA, not participating in rehab. Uh, I had no idea. I thought I was just like hanging. I thought because the people I hung out with drank heavily, I thought it was normal. I thought everyone drank like this. And um, <clears throat> I remember I'd have things going where I'd be like skiing on the weekend and I'd be like, uh, I would be craving a beer. I'd be like, man, beer would go really good right now. And I'd ask my friends and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, me too. And those kids are like dead or coke addicts right now. Um, but I, I felt rest assured in the moment that like it's normal. They like to do this. They feel the same way. It's nothing. If we're just being young. Um, so anyways, fast forward. I kind of bumped my head a little bit more, and I ended up getting locked up for like nine months. <clears throat> and every time I got locked, I was almost institutionalized. Every time I got locked up, I was like the star pupil. Did whatever someone asked me. I got good grades. Uh, I didn't really get in any trouble. I was like, the, like all the guards or whoever would be like, you gotta act like Scott, man. Scott's got his head screwed on straight. Uh, and when I got locked up, when I was getting released, I had like every intention to stay sober. They would take us to meetings there. I heard some stuff, I related to some people. And uh, I was like, I really want this, man. I really wanna stay sober. And I get out and my brother picks me up and uh, he's like, so when are we drinking? I've been out for like two hours and I'm like whenever you want but the whole time in there for like a month I'm like I can't wait I'm like I'm gonna do it we turn my life I mean there's some ego there where I was like it's pretty embarrassing to be 18 and get locked up and like carted off the school campus and handcuffs and whatever and I was like I'm gonna show all these fuckers like I got my head on right and within an hour and a half I was like yeah I don't know I drink and uh, this is where I tried my controlled drinking um, that night, he brought me uh, like a, I think it was a six pack of beer and a fifth of some vodka. And the first night I drank four beers. And I was super proud of myself because it was like, I had so much alcohol there and I only drank four beers. I got this licked. I, I, I learned my lesson, self knowledge will be the answer to all my problems. And then the next night I drank the rest of the beer and like half a fifth. And then I drank the rest of the fifth and I was off to the races. Um, and 
So <clears throat> I go off to the races after getting out of being locked up. My probation officer finds out. She arrests me like three days later. Uh, or I fail a drug test. And then she's like, okay, time to go. She showed up on my birthday to my house. She's like, hey, I'm going to take a ride. And uh, I remember feeling like safe going back to like you have to you go to like detention center or whatever waiting for your arraignment and it was such a horrible feeling man like just like this is the only place i can feel safe where i don't have the option of whether or not i can drink um anyways we go to court the judge is like we're not gonna send you anywhere you're about to graduate you're 18 um we're gonna put you on house arrest you should go to meetings and then you're not our problem anymore because it's still on juvenile probation um so anyways, when I was on house arrest, uh, I would go to meetings all the time to get the fuck out of my house. And there was a guy that would drive like 45 minutes out of his way to come pick me up because I couldn't drive because I had my license suspended. Uh, take me to the meeting, give me cigarettes and coffee, drop me off and then go all the way home. And he did it like three times a week, never asked for gas money, never asked for anything from me. He was just happy to do it. And that was probably the first time where I felt like I belonged with a group of people. Because every time I hung out with my friends, they're like, what do you got for me? You got gas money, you got this. What can you do for me? And uh, I made a beginning. I didn't find a sponsor, uh, but I listened up and whatever. And when I graduated high school that summer in June, um, I got off house arrest. And I, again, was gonna try to control drinking. I was like, I'm gonna like drink up. 30 rack is oh oh this is this is phenomenal so when i was in rehab i went like three times as a juvenile or two and i would go on these home passes and i'd talk to my mom my mom and i were super close and uh i'd be like you know i i think if i just drank here at home everything would be okay and she's like okay well like maybe we can do that and I mean, she loved me. She just wanted to see me like, okay, and not die or whatever. She had no idea how to help or not enable. Um, and I was like, well, maybe Kevin and I could come over and drink. And then she's like, yeah, well, like, what would you want? Like a 12 pack? I was like, yeah, 12 pack or a 24 pack or a 30 rack. And like in like a minute, I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's get fucked up. Come on. And uh, the whole time, like, no, 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 we're just gonna do controlled drinking. I'm not gonna get arrested. I'm not gonna get in trouble. Uh, so anyways, I get off house arrest, I get off probation, I graduate high school, and I said I'm going to drink uh, some Wild Turkey 101, a 30 rack of beer, maybe like some tequila. <laughs> and uh, that's it, I'm going to be done, and I'm going to go to college. <clears throat> and I like blow right through that, and uh, I'm hanging out with like the wrong people, doing the wrong stuff, and uh, it, it just wasn't good. Like I, I would break my morals, I'd like steal $20 from my grandmother when she was over, like horrible things, like from a demoral, was it demoralization that we talked about? Uh, incomprehensible. Um, the thing that, you know, I'll realize stuff after the fact, but like my mom never slept in her room. She slept in the living room every night so she could know when I got home because she couldn't sleep. Um, and I put her through that for years and years and years and years. So anyways, I'm drinking and I get my fourth underage, which in uh, Pennsylvania is like an automatic two years in jail. I, I don't know why they do it. And I was like devastated, I was like, oh, well, or 90 days in jail. I was like, I don't wanna go to jail, man. Like, I'm not cut for that. And uh, I remember I had this moment of like, okay, like I gotta stop. And I was like, I'm done. 
And that lasted for like a day and I was right back to it. And I started to realize like I had no control over my drinking at all. I would come home at night and I'd hide my wallet and I'd hide the liquor somewhere. Like uh, in my kitchen, we had like these big cabinets and then there was like lights on top and I'd like throw my wallet up there and throw bottles up there. And I would do it because I knew if I didn't have any money, I couldn't drink the next day. And I'd wake up in the next morning with the shakes and be panicking trying to find my wallet and how I was, figure out how I was gonna drink for the next day. And uh, it was just this insidious cycle of like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it, I'm done. Next morning, okay, I'm gonna do it. Like, I gotta do it. Uh, and uh, it was really strange. <clears throat> I was never a really good athlete, but uh, all my friends were. So all my friends got D1 scholarships to go play football or other sports. And it's probably October, I'm not in college. I'm hanging out with like the high school kids as like recently graduated senior feeling like a big loser. And the only thing I had accomplished in a day was like folding my laundry. And I, uh, obviously like my parents were constantly trying to insert themselves like, hey, like, do you wanna go to rehab? Here's an interventionist that kind of talks about the number of people I meet who wish they could go back and say I quit smoking five years ago and now I have lung cancer and whatever. So they would do these kinds of things and like nothing really broke through. But for some reason I was like flipping through the newspaper, I don't know why I was reading the newspaper, and I saw like all my friends like, hey, so-and-so is gonna be starting this year at this school and, and I just like bawled my eyes out because I had like this realization that I had no control over what I was doing every day. Uh, I wasn't going anywhere and uh, I wanted to change like it like I was smart in school I got like straight A's uh, without studying or basically being drunk in class all the time and I thought I could somehow like outsmart alcoholism and I could have and I felt like for whatever again like I don't know why that was a breaking point versus anything else that happened but that is I guess what scared me enough to I called my mom that moment I said hey I want to go to rehab um, and so basically like October 10th, uh, I flew down to Florida and went to rehab. <clears throat> and so I think it's like the sobriety doesn't really start there. I, I had like a good year and a half of like crazy sobriety that I always feel is important to talk about. Um, but so anyways, I go down to Florida, I go through this. I really enjoyed the rehab because you start off in like the hospitalization and then you go to like an intensive IOP, but you live in like an apartment setting. And then you go to just like one day a week groups, and then you're living in a halfway house. And it basically to me felt like I got stepped down slowly into like real life and I was given enough rope to either tie myself to something that worked or to hang myself. And the good thing and the bad thing about my experience there is there are so many young people trying to get sober and a lot of them had other kinds of uh, things that would drive them, other kinds of addiction. And I watched all these kids relapse and die in front of me. And I didn't tackle this program with like all the might and courage that I see other people do, but I did get scared sober for a long time, watching what would happen to people who blew through all their insurance, their parents cut them off, and they're literally homeless with their suitcase out in front of Walmart trying to find something to do for that night. Um, so anyways, I go through that process and living in a halfway house. Um, and I remember like walking around meetings cause I still am like 18 at this point or 19 now. And I'm like, you know, 
I'd ask people like a ghost, does it get better? Does it like like it's so it was so perplexing for me to believe that drinking was the only thing I knew. Uh, how was I going to learn how to talk to girls, have fun at parties, have fun with people, meet new people, enjoy my like Friday night? Like, what was I going to do? Like, it, it was so alien for me to believe that I could live a life without drinking and, and enjoy it. And so I just go around and be like, does it get better? Does it get better? Does it get better? And uh, everyone just say like, keep coming back. Or some people, you know, be nice and say, you know, they try to share their experience. Um, so, anyways, I wasn't like fully sold on the program. I did the sponsorship one, two, three shuffle where I get a sponsor, I go through one, two, and three, and then they're like, all right, you're gonna write down your resentments. I'm like, nope, not with you. And I'm gonna go find a new sponsor that I feel more comfortable with. And uh, so I did that, and I'm at like a year and a half sober. Uh, I'm living in a nice apartment. I have a girlfriend. I got my driver's license back, so I have a car. I'm working on boats. I'm back in school, so I'm going to college. Um, I have a great roommate, um, and I wanted to kill myself um, because I wanted to drink. And I, I had had an experience one night drinking where I could not feel the effect that I was looking to feel. Mm -hmm. And I bawled my eyes out because I was drinking, 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 and it was like a glass shatter moment where it's like, it's not working anymore. I can't feel, I can't get away from it. And so I had that experience drinking, and now I'm sober. I'm like, well, drinking's not going to fix this. I know it because I already had it. Uh, and I'm too prideful to drink again. So the only way to end this misery is to just end it all. And I think it's like a really dark, I don't know if it's necessary or unnecessary, but like it's part of my story. But like, it's such a simple fucking part of the like, program. Like, all you have to do is come ask for help, go through the steps with someone, but like, it's like the willingness to really come into and the honesty, I don't know, it's so strange. Anyways, I go to the meeting like basically that night, <clears throat> miserable. And there's a guy in there who I kind of respected, who always shared like some pretty profound stuff. And he talked about, now this is not to be offensive to anyone, but he was a heterosexual male with a girlfriend and he was talking about how he was sleeping with transgender people and cheating on his girlfriend in a co-ed meeting, not like a men's meeting, like just in front of everyone. And I was like, holy shit, that guy has no fear at all. Like I would never, if, even if that's what I was doing, that's what I had to share, I'd never share it with someone. And I grabbed him after the meeting. I was like, hey man, like I want you to be my sponsor. Because even though he had nothing material-wise I wanted, he was like basically homeless almost worked in like a restaurant didn't have a college degree life was kind of rocky but that guy walked without fear and that's something i would never experienced in my life and uh he was like sure i'll give you some guarantees and a promise and uh let me know what you want to do and so uh again on the outside i'm like i want to die like i don't feel any hope this is ever getting better that my mind's gonna be freed um and he said you know get a bunch of people's numbers because I'm not always going to be there. You're going to call me and I'm not going to be available and you need to be able to talk to someone else. Uh, and he promised me that I was going to have a personal experience with the steps. My experience wasn't going to be his experience and uh, that his job was only to put my hand in a God of my... His job was to put my hand in my God's understanding. Something like that. He <laughs> introduced me to the God of my understanding. So that was the purpose of the book. It's not how to get sober. It's to find a God that you can work with. And uh, 
the God word scared the shit <coughs> out of me because I grew up going to church and working on like the, the being an accolade, handing out like the wine. And so I heard about all the bad things that people do and how there's sins and how you have to pay for that. And I was like, oh man, like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. So anyways, I was like, all right, I have a deal. I'm going to go and sit with this guy once a week for the next eight weeks or whatever, go through the steps with him. If I don't feel better, I'm going to kill myself. And if I do feel better, then like, good. But like, let's give it the good college try. And, uh, dude, it was like the wildest thing. Like I sat with him outside like a Publix. I don't know if you guys know what Publix is, but it's just a grocery store. We'd smoke cigarettes and he'd share about his experience and he'd share how this part of the book affected him. And I slowly but surely was introduced to uh, a God of my understanding. It was very different than his experience and other people's experience that I've talked to. And, you know, <clears throat> I was so hopeless because I was like a dry drunk that before I got my driver's license back, I had to bike everywhere or take the bus. And I used to hope for like freebies. And my freebie was like dry, like rearing my bike into like oncoming traffic. Cause I knew if I got hit by a car, I'd go to the hospital and they'd give me morphine. And I could squeeze the bag of morphine. But I knew I shouldn't drink or do drugs cause I can't control it. But I was like, that would be kind of be a freebie. Or smash my hand with a hammer working in like a boat yard. Like I was insane. And I didn't have the courage to just pick up and start using, but I was like, well, maybe if I get a freebie, like, it'll be okay, and I'll really enjoy it. <laughs> like, uh, I'll tell you what, today when I ride my bike, I don't think about, like, maybe I'll just go in the oncoming traffic. Um, but anyways, like, so th there was all that. Basically, through going through the steps, I was armed with the facts about myself, and uh, I was introduced to I was introduced to a God of my understanding that I've continued to get to know over time. And it has been a really beautiful process because I feel like it's one that should never stop. Um, and I think like, I'm telling you, like I was so crazy in that early sobriety, like uh, through, my, through kind of years and years, of like going through different spiritual, practices and like getting more grant a or going through the steps again for new sponsor uh i've been able to discover life beyond my wildest dreams like i never would have thought my life today would be what it is when i was 18 or 19 struggling to just not pick up like in florida in pennsylvania they don't sell alcohol in gas stations i think it's kind of smart i don't know why people do it here but you know when i would go to the gas station in florida newly sober I would like be shaking because it's hot as hell there. And I'd be like, man, that tall, like tall boy is ice cold and the refrigerator looks really good right now. And uh, I would just be like struggling the entire time I'm in the store. I'd never look at that shit anymore. But I didn't, it didn't just happen. It's through going through the steps, working with a sponsor, uh, cleaning house, helping other people, that like all these little things that I never thought I'd be able to get past just are no longer there. And for me today, I have to come back to these meetings. I have to hear people share about what it was like before they got sober, because otherwise I'll forget. And uh, if I forget, then I get lazy and I rest on my laurels and then who knows what happens. But that's all I gotta share. Thank you.
Yeah, I don't know. I've never been to this meeting, so I don't know how it goes. Can you walk us through your step process? Uh, yeah, at, at a very high level. Like if I'm like if I'm doing it with someone, like or, the first step experience, and then the f I mean the first step experience for me is probably my favorite part of the book because I feel like it's a Billy Mays commercial, like OxyClean. Like they basically go through a bunch of examples of alcoholics, and they're like, well. If this isn't you, we have more. Are you this guy? Are you the used car salesman? Are you a retired businessman? Uh, but wait, there's more. It's like, like no matter like, I, again, the way the book was written back in the day was like to reach alcoholics and maybe didn't have someone to talk to. Uh, but it's my favorite part of the book because they just fucking go through every possible argument for the most part that I could have and say that it doesn't work, man. Or maybe, not that it doesn't work, but maybe you might like, maybe you might be like us. And for me, my first step experience was like sitting with my sponsor and like highlighting all the ways that Bill thought, felt, and drank. Mm -hmm. And like reading those first eight pages and just saying, he just said, just highlights, see how you do, and then stop. And then sharing about it and seeing what my sponsor felt. I mean, this was, this was the crux of it. <clears throat> my sponsor highlighted the stuff, I highlighted my stuff, and he basically said, okay, you and I, match on all these highlighted parts this works for me and if it works for me it probably works for you because you and i are similar in the way that we thought felt and drank and uh i thought that was super powerful um step two uh was my favorite part uh he had me watch uh there's a movie called hachi which is like a very sad movie about a dog that's uh, like that's uh Siberian Husky or something, very cute dog, and uh, some popular actor. And he explained to me that it's his belief that God's inside every one of us. And when we're happy, God's happy. When we're sad, God's sad. But when we're happy, it's kind of hard to like really pinpoint where God is. But when we're sad, you sometimes get like a stomach pain like when you're crying really hard. And he's like, I want you to go home and watch this movie. And find your God spot. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, when you start crying, like body shaking, crying, and you feel a pain inside you, that's where you can like pinpoint God inside you. Uh, and so I went home, I watched this movie, I bawled my eyes out and I found my God spot. <laughs> and uh, it was really interesting because he had me also do a little part where he said, okay, now that you found your God spot, why don't you go home and instead of just doing the porcelain prayers of God when you're anxious or worried or getting arrested, why don't you go and introduce yourself to God? Say, hey, I'm Scott, nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after you do that, wake up the next morning, and there's like three parts. God's our director, we're his agent, he's the father, we're the son, and he's the principal, or something else. And he said, for three mornings, wake up and introduce yourself and have God be your director, or your principal, or your father, and see how your day goes. And for me, I mean, I had a great father growing up, but I really felt close with the God that I was learning to understand with him being my father and I was a son. And uh, that was really powerful to lean on. And I don't know if like the Hachi movie played into it, but <clears throat> I've always had a bit of an issue with like black and white. Like if you mess up, it's all ruined. And I think it's like my dad more than anything. Uh, but the way I picture my relationship with God is that I'm a little like golden retriever puppy and God's like me 
And if I had a little golden retriever puppy, I wanted to hang out with it all day, every day, pet it, play with it, like make it happy, feed it, nurture it, love it. <clears throat> now that guy's gonna be a curious little dog. He's gonna run around and go off and come back. And I tell you what, I'm never gonna be mad when I see him come back. And for me, there's times where I get lazy in my praying and my talking to God and like, how can I be of service? And my will is yours. And it was very important for me to develop a safe image of like, God's never gonna be mad at me because I spent too much time not talking to him. Like I can always come back. Um, so that was one, two, and then three was simple. It's just three is kind of like going right into four. There's, there's no like guessing, like we do three by starting four. And uh, four was where I really got to meet God because every day I'd have to sit there and pray and then write down all the horrible things that people did to me and talk to God about it every day. And so that's where I really found my relation, really, I had like imaged my relationship with God, but I hadn't really gotten to know God uh, or my understanding of God until four. And then after going through four, man, like once I felt that connection, like I was unstoppable. Uh, not that things were super easy, I had all the answers, but I had, a, I had something that I could really lean on or rely on going forward. Oh, keep going. Uh, my experience with five was where I learned to like love another man or have like an intimate relationship. Like that was so foreign to me. Like I loved my parents, but like I would, I was like the iron wall. Like can't get in too much. And sharing my kind of deepest dark, deepest darkest secrets with someone, and like. The things I could get in trouble with, these are the things I'm most ashamed with. And that guy's staring across from me at the table and being like, yeah, I've done that. Or like, so what? Keep going. Uh, was the opening for me to be able to have intimate relationships. Because up to that point, I'd never have one. So uh, that was six or uh, five. Six was kind of straightforward, but I think it's somewhat always evolving. I think it's also better done like the 12 and 12 as you go through that process. Um, but I always heard guys say like, am I willing and am I ready? Are like two totally different things. Like, am I willing to, he, his line was like, am I willing to fly a fighter jet? Yes, of course, that'd be really sick. Am I ready to? No, I'm gonna crash. Like I have no idea how. And uh, <coughs> it was, I would say, it's a straightforward thing, but I like to complicate it. And there was a lot of selfishness involved with me going through six and seven where I was used to using people and lying to people. Like I had this thing come up with my sponsor where I had lied to some people about just random shit. And uh, he was like, okay, you gotta go reach out to those people and tell me you lied to them. I'm like, no fucking way, I'm not doing that. Are you kidding? Like that would be the most absurd thing in the world. He's like, all right, well you need, you have to start doing this or you need to stop lying. And it was like these character defects that uh, I was clinging on to for no good reason. And uh, it was so scary for me to be willing to let those go because it's kind of how I learned how to operate. Uh, um, but I think there's a guy who also talked about like shortcomings and character defects that are like, you have a flat tire and then you ride the bike on the flat tire and you bend the rim. Like the shortcomings, like, oh, I'm gonna ride the bike, and the character defects, like, you just have the flat tire or whatever. Um, 
but I, I did enjoy going through it after I went through all my steps back through with uh, the 12 and 12 and like looking at like it's just like trying to rest too much satisfaction out of life and that's where they really show up um, 8 to 9 were odd they went oddly well like some of the things I did I can tell you in private wouldn't want to like necessarily share with like a room full of people but I had to make amends for some things I thought I could never make amends for um, and I don't know man they like I've seen people go back out because they weren't able to do their amends I've seen people stay so like white knuckle who won't and I mean these are from things I've heard like in the meetings where people shared about and said I went back out I couldn't do it whatever and so I I had tasted sobriety and I tasted like a new life going through that point and I had this relationship with God where I kind of felt like at this point like if I get arrested for these kinds of things or if this happens like I'm not going to live the rest of my life and lie about it and be in shame and whatever it's it has to be carried forward and you know I think <clears throat> mine were less severe than what I've heard from other people and uh, I think it always I don't know like if you kill people you probably want to talk to someone that's killed people before you go and in the rooms you don't want to like uh, I don't know I've, I've heard that I've heard those situations come up where they're like how do you how do you make amends for something like that and uh, they're like well I donate money in this guy's name every single year um, so I, th I do think anything's kind of possible when it comes to that. Uh, the 10 and the 10 and 11, 11 I'm better at the 10, I get super lazy, even though I've printed out like 100 sheets of like this daily little inventory I can do. Um, 11, I really enjoyed because I got to meet a lot of like woo-woo, Jesus sandal type of people wearing crystals. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because I've always had like mental issues, anxieties, depressions, and uh, AA helps a lot, but a lot of times you need outside help to continue to move forward. And I found a lot of like safe, or a lot of like healing and therapy and different types of meditation practices and like growing my connection with God. People kind of always told me that AA is like spiritual kindergarten, it's like your introduction, and then where you go from there uh, is up to you. And, but my sponsor always says, that's a lot of good hot sauce, but don't forget your burrito. Like, don't forget AA and just go off in this, like, land of, like, uh, if I have my crystals today, I won't drink. Um, I do think that 10, for me, has been very helpful because I usually am able to right my wrongs very, like, right now I'm at a point where when I do something messed up to someone, as short of, like, flicking someone off while driving or, like, I love to close the gap on people on the highways where they're trying to pass me and there's like a car in front of just like hit that gap so they can't do it. Short of that stuff, uh, I'm pretty quick to say, like take a pause and say, hey, that was wrong to me, I'm sorry, like let's do it. So I don't have to come back and do it the next day because I did my 10th step and say, oh, that was, that was not uh, right. But I also look at like, if the ultimate goal is to grow closer and, and better communication with my higher power, um, I'm always going to have issues that are coming up and I'm always going to have to like learn and improve on them, but it's never going to be perfect. Uh, and so it's just like how much do I want to grow this week or today? And then 12, uh, 
it's probably my favorite part. Like, in, you know, here I don't see as many, I mean, there's young people here, but like in Florida, dudes, like you see young people after young people come to these meetings and you wish that you could just like grab them and fucking hold them there and be like, I have a solution for you to like, please just stay. And you can't. And uh, I used to talk to my friends before I moved from there to here and like, it was always like our biggest sadness is like we wake up and just want to give it away and uh when we when we get to it's it's the most rewarding thing because a i learn way more about the book every time i go through it with someone else than i knew about it the previous time and i learn more about my previous experiences every time i go through with someone and it's just like a constant reinforcing wheel of like this is how to recover and this is how to help other people um but it's always uh I mean, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's always been a struggle to look at, uh, to balance that act of like feeling so lucky to get sober at such a young age. And sometimes people are like, well, he's too young for me or what have you. And uh, other people aren't ready and you just have to sit there and hope and wait that um, you have the opportunity to do it with someone else. So, that's the Maggie, Maggie, Maggie. Uh, thank you for your story. Um, what does your life look like now? What are you doing? What am I doing? <laughs> uh, I work at a like a trading firm, so I just sit and trade stocks every day. Um, I moved here from Miami. Uh, I spent a couple years in Miami. I spent about 10 years in West Palm Beach. Uh, I don't, I'm sorry, like you guys are great. People in Texas are super friendly. I fucking hate the heat here, man. Like it's so hot. And you know, people say we well, come from Florida, but uh, in Florida you have an ocean, so you get the sea breeze. Here's just heat. Like I've never, oh my God. I, I feel like physically attacked when I go outside. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do that for work. I have some friends here from like the men's group that I hang out with. Uh, I have a girlfriend that I've been dating for about a year. Um, I'm babysitting her dog right now. And uh, I mean, my life's pretty good. I tell you what, I used to have a ton of panic attacks and uh, I was prescribed Xanax because like they would be so bad that uh, my heart would start going. I'd get numb and be like, oh, like I'd call ambulance, like I'm dying. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyways, like I worked a couple jobs that were just like, the people, the guy I worked for was such a screwball and was so mean and nasty that it like threw me into these like, I, I experienced it when I was in college because I studied in Atlanta, I went to this hard school and it was like a ton of work all the time and there was a ton of pressure and uh, I started to get some panic attacks there and then I went and worked this job out of college and uh, I would recommend that <coughs> I mean, from my experience, like, I work, maybe it's more stressful now, but it's not. I enjoy it. But I haven't had a panic attack in, like, a year and a half, uh, which is great. In my free time, uh, I got I got really lucky when I got out of rehab. I worked in the boatyard. Um, I worked for this really nice old guy, and he would, on Saturdays, he would race the sailboat with other people. Uh, down in West Palm. West Palm can be kind of like a big sailing area. And he would pay me for my, like, I got paid hourly at the boatyard, but he says 
he would take me sailing with him on Saturdays instead of making me work and teach me how to sail better, like higher levels. And uh, I got really lucky. I like just kind of stayed with it. And so in my free time, I'll go do sailing stuff. Usually more like I go to like Rhode Island or I'll go to California or I'll go somewhere to go do that kind of stuff at uh, higher levels. I try to play golf, um, but for the most part, come to meetings, cook, uh, help other people, hang out with people. I mean, I, I think I have a ton of normal friends, uh, which is enjoyable. And then I have my AA friends, which are even more enjoyable because like not everyone comes from that cloth of like, you can't always say like the things that are on your mind with normal people or I don't know, man. There's like a whole lot more enjoyment that you get with your brethren than you do with Bill is it next year or whatever? <laughs> um, coming from like such a privileged like household and not having that like childhood trauma and stuff like that, did you present yourself a lot for like what you were putting through your family? Like, did you have a lot of resentment for the things you did? Seeing other people experience trauma and like you not having that same experience? No, like <clears throat> I think that's the choice people make when they have kids to an extent where like. I, I never resented myself for putting my, I felt like sorrow and whatever, but to make amends, my parents were like, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Like they were so damn happy. Like they did not care. Uh, there's nothing I can do to change that kind of stuff. And it was hor like horrible things. Uh, but what I can do is make sure when I do hang out with them, and I'll tell you this, when I first got sober and I go home for Christmas and stuff, horrible time I wanted to be out of the house I wouldn't be anywhere near them I felt uncomfortable anxious whatever and now my parents are like my best friends like we hang out we talk all the time uh, so yeah I mean like I guarantee you they never think about how horrible the times were and they're just excited to say like when are we gonna talk to Scott next when are we gonna see him again what have you we have two more questions one for you and then one for you okay and after that we need to wrap it up go ahead Sorry, not from like I'm actually from Long Beach. Oh, nice. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask about like navigating career transitions in sobriety. Uh, I mean, I, <clears throat> my sponsor had me do a sex ideal, and basically, a sex ideal carries out to like a life ideal, work ideal. Um, and so I was like wring my hands at him about like stuff, and I basically studied engineering in school worked for like a family office and then worked for like a real estate private equity company and now I do trading. Um, but I would always just talk to people. I'd like pick people's brains about like, why do you like this or why do you like that? Uh, I would tr try to network my way into different things, but that's such a hard thing because being like in AA, I wanna be honest with people and I don't wanna just use them and be like, hey, Bob, I see you work here. Like, can you get me in? Uh, and so, I don't know, I, th I would pray about it. Uh, I didn't like the real estate private equity because we were buying mobile home parks, which are a phenomenal investment, but you're preying on really poor people, and I hated that. And uh, I didn't like my first job because my boss was like not, and he's like arrogant or insecure and just wasn't a good fit. Um, but usually talking to a sponsor and like talking to people or like people would say like you look miserable man like why are you doing this my dad would say like why are you doing this and I was like I don't know man because I feel like it's right he's like that's not right uh, yeah. 
been an alcoholic? Um, kind of a loaded question, not a lot of time, but uh, do you feel like your uh, conception or idea of God has changed through your sobriety? Um, and like, has the way that you pray changed at all? Yeah, well, okay, yeah, okay, so when I first got sober, I would get on my hands and knees every night. <clears throat> I had this huge obsession that I was going to have, like, mouth cancer for whatever reason. <laughs> and so the guy I used to live with is, like, sitting over there. So I laugh because, like, I'm sure he's dealt with it from time to time. But anyways, I would get on my hands and knees every night and pray for people who had cancer and be like, God, can you please help out those people? Because I heard in the book that we can only pray for other people's gains and then we can expect to receive for ourselves, more or less. And I was like, I'll trick God. I'll pray for these people. <laughs> and then that way I'll be saved from... So I was like, fucking horrible. Uh... And I think my conception has pretty much stayed the same. So for whatever reason, like I just love the ocean. I feel like it's like a massive power, whatever. But I love being like on the water and on the water you always get like this sea breeze. And so for me, my conception of God was like always, I know I explained like the dog, that's like an image, but like I can go outside and pray and do every time I get like the God bumps or the goosebumps, and it's like the wind for me. And I feel like when I start praying, like the wind picks up, and we're talking and whatever. And that's that hasn't changed. Um, but I've heard other people's conception has changed over time. And when I first came in, I thought doing step three. <laughs> Again, I was afraid of God because of going to church and learning about sins and retribution. But I thought if I turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him, he was going to give me mouth cancer, remove my bottom jaw, and I would go around to high schools and talk to people about the risks of doing tobacco products underage. <laughs> that was like literally, I, I, I balked at step three. I was like, no, 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 that's what God's going to have me fucking do. I'm not a good public speaker. Like, why would he have me do that? Uh, so, so it changed from that to what I have now, but uh, from going through the steps, like, not so much. All right, well, thank you, Scott.